0: Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Welcome, everybody. Glad that you're here. It's great to see many of your, all of your faces. And uh, for those of you who are joining us online, I really appreciate it. Uh, if you didn't hear, I just want to say Happy Father's Day. If you stick around, which you will, for the benediction at the end, I'm going to make a little comment. Uh, being thankful for my dad but um i want to start with a joke that i heard rick actually uh, use in a sermon one time it's really great when there were two two kids that were playing two little boys were playing and one of them accidentally swallowed a coin and they're doing everything they can to try and help the little boy get the coin out of his mouth, and the moms are worried. And one of the boys just takes off running, and she says, "Where are you going?" And he said, "I'm going to the preacher's house." And She said, "Why?" Well, Dad says the preacher can get money out of anybody. <laughs> so, anyway, with that in mind, uh, as we've been going through this series, um, today's lesson is going to be one that I'm I'm actually pretty nervous about. If you could feel my heart rate right now, my heart's beating a little faster than normal because today we're going to be talking about a pretty sensitive subject. We're going to be talking about how if Christ is truly my Lord, if he truly is, has lordship and authority as teacher and king over every aspect of my life, then that also includes my wallet, and my debit cards, and my credit cards, and, and my money, my wealth, my possessions. So... I want to just put all the cards on the table first and foremost. I have never been comfortable with preaching about money. And I think part of it is because, one, I don't like people ever feeling like my motivation for doing anything good for them is because I have something in return I'm wanting to get back from them. Sometimes talking about money can feel like that. Another reason is that in my experience, especially working at my last job, I felt like we only ever talked about money because the budget was in really bad shape or because we were trying to raise money for a capital campaign. Like, oh man, the budget's bad. Hey preacher, would you mind preaching a few, you know, sermons on giving? That doesn't really feel great. It's like, it kind of reminds me, this is something Catherine and I struggle with. Catherine and I don't always see completely eye-to-eye on disciplining our kids. What's what's too strong? What's not strong enough? How much? How, you know, how often? And yet, what usually happens is the time where we have our most heated disciplining disagreements are when one of our children is misbehaving right then, in the moment. And, and I'll always say, I'll always say, we need to do this. And Catherine's like, no, we need to talk about it. I'm like, when are we gonna talk about it? Do we need to set like a date in the calendar? It's like on Wednesday, like on Wednesday noon, we're gonna discuss our views on disciplining children. But usually it's right in the heat of the moment. But if you're like me, you know that in the heat of the moment is probably not the wisest time to make a decision about something. And that's usually how we talk about money. A preacher, the heat of the moment is that we have a capital campaign. The heat of the moment is the budget is bad, so the preacher has to get up and say something. But thankfully, because of today's series, that's none of the motivation behind this. My only motivation is this, that there is a bottom line that I would be a bad preacher of this congregation if I didn't talk to you about money. Because for the church, for this church, for you individually, for all followers of Jesus... Money is something that Jesus took very seriously. Jesus spoke about money a lot. Approximately a third of Jesus' statements and a sixth of his parables involved money and the accumulation of wealth and possessions. In Acts 2, when, when Luke is trying to describe the heartbeat of the new church, one of the things he throws in there is just how generous they were with their possessions. What is the first scandal of the early church in Acts 5? Ananias and Sapphira got a little greedy and it was very detrimental to their health if you know the story okay because they held on to their possessions there is no way that i could satisfactorily there's no way in a in a satisfying way i could cover all money discussion in one sermon. But I am going to try and hit some high points. My hope, my greatest hope with this conversation is that when you leave here today, you do some genuine self-examination, family examination, and ask yourself the question, how much do I own my money and how much does my owny, my money own me? To really do a self-inventory of that. It's a, a good example is like when I talk to teens, like, you know, your phone is controlling your life. And by the way, this applies to adults too. Y'all just don't think it does. But, um, y'all meaning me too, because I'm an adult, not a kid. But um, when I talk to teens, I say, you know, your phone really controls your life. And they're like, no, it doesn't. I say, okay, well, just don't have it for a week. And, you know, and when they start to feel withdrawals, it's like, okay, maybe that's a good sign that it does control you more than you think. Try to do the same thing with money. Try to think for a second. What if I just did something crazy and, you know, just gave a lot of money to somebody who I thought needed it. And if you start to feel the shakes, then maybe it has more control over you than you realize. Okay, I want to say this because it was something integral to the start of my series, is I believe a key with every single one of these components is that Jesus is asking for your trust, and he's also asking for you to be indifferent towards all the things that the world are telling you to trust in. So, with that in mind, do I trust that God will give me what resources I need to glorify him each day? To live the life of a disciple and am I indifferent when I am making decisions and I'm balancing the scale of what I should or shouldn't do to best glorify Jesus in my life in my family in my home how much does money tip the scales and how can I become someone that does not allow money to tip the scales a good example would be if you're trying to decide between two different job options and you said to yourself well let me think Mm, what do I want to do and then you said well what if the money was completely equal And then you had, okay, well, I would go here. And then you thought, well, the money isn't equal, so I'm going to go over here. What you just proved is that you are balancing the scales heavily on the money side. And I'm not telling you that's wrong. What I'm telling you is part of Christ becoming our Lord is not allowing money to tip the scales at all in our life, but only letting how does this glorify Jesus tip the scales. So I'm going to try... I do feel like this might be a longer sermon, but I'm going to try to move at a healthy pace of quick, but not too quick. So let's first talk about Matthew 6, verse 24, probably about as crucial of a passage that we have on this. Um, No one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus did not say, you cannot serve both God and the devil. He said, you can't serve God and money. So clearly, Jesus puts the idea of money in the category of something that is trying to get your servanthood, trying to be Lord of your life. This word serve, in Greek, it's the word doulo, which is where we get servant or slave. And so if you use the idea, which was common back in Jesus' day, of slavery, of indentured servitude... A slave had one master. You could not, that person was exclusively working for one person. And a disciple's loyalties, they cannot be divided. This is, you either are a servant of one master or you are a servant of the other. I want to, something that I think is crucial that is going to come up more in this series, and I probably should have began with this, is we all are going to serve a Lord. Every single one of us, whether you want to admit it or not, every single one of us has a Lord in our life. And if you're thinking to yourself, well Drew I don't have a Lord. I answer to no one. I answer to myself. Then guess what? Guess who your Lord is? Just look in the mirror. Okay? We are all being shaped each and every day by something and there is no such thing as a human who isn't being shaped or changing or growing. And the primary thing that is changing and shaping who you are is who you have decided to make your Lord, who you are serving. You can only serve one Lord. Which one will you serve, and will you trust? Richard Foster has this. Uh, Richard Foster has this great quote where he says, Riches are deceitful precisely because they lead us to trust in them. And Jesus saw the trap in the spiritual destructiveness which attends it. This was the burden that bore down upon the rich young ruler. Not only did he have great possessions, but more significantly, the great possessions had him. Jesus knows that there are only so many places in life where people will find real satisfaction in saying this is where i find my security this is where i find my safety this is where i find my identity and jesus seems pretty sure why did he pick money couldn't he have said so many other things i think he picked money because he knows from life experience that there are very few things that people once they have enough of it are able to go oh i have my identity i have my security i have my safety i have my status and it doesn't have to look like anything that has to do with Jesus. And he wants all of those things to be answered in him. In, I have my identity, my safety, my security in Christ. In Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength, nor nor the rich boast in their riches. These are all examples of things that, for these people, this is where they found their status, their identity, their safety, their security. The wise person I'm good, I know who I am, I'm wise. The strong, listen, I'm set, I'm all taken care of. Look at me, I'm so strong. You can't, no one's going to take advantage of me. Uh, look Look what I have. The rich and their riches. But let the one who boasts, boasts about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight. In these things I find my delight, my joy, my security, my trust, declares the Lord. The truly wise person learns what God teaches, and he or she will not boast in anything but God, knowing his steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. All right, the second main thing. So for those of you who are note-takers, the first main category was serve God or serve money. One of them is going to be your Lord, probably. The next main point is stewardship and generosity. I'm going to talk about both. The first step towards stewarding our funds, this word that we use a lot in our talking about following Jesus and using what we have, this word of stewardship, is to recognize that what we have is not ours, but it is God's. In Leviticus twenty-five, twenty-three, God says, "...the land must not be sold permanently. None of you are allowed to sell your family land, because it's not actually yours. The land is mine, and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers." The children of Israel were told, listen, where you live right now, that's not really yours. You are taking care of it for me. You are stewarding it, what you have for me, because it's mine and I own it. We see on the very first page of scripture in Genesis 1, it says that we are created in his image to be his co-rulers, to rule and reign, to steward creation with God so I want to talk a little bit about this idea. Of part of stewardship is kingdom investing and king, kingdom investment. There's a story. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it would take too long. But there's a parable, a very famous parable in Matthew 25, of the, what we've grown up calling the parable of the talents. But thankfully, Bible translators are starting to pick up on the confusion because in that story, the parable of the talent, a talent is a lot of money. But often we preach that story like, you know, give your talents what you're good at to God. It's like, no, 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 no. This isn't about giving your talents. This is about giving your money. Literally, the new NIV translation, it says the parable of the, I think it says the parable of the bags of gold. Because one talent is a lot of gold, a lot of money. And what this guy does, this master, he's going on a trip, he gives one servant five bags, huge bags of gold. Gives another one two huge bags of gold, and he gives another one one bag of gold. The person with the five goes and invests it. The person with the two goes and invests it. And the person with the one, he digs a hole in the ground and he buries it. And when the master comes back, the first servant with five comes, and and he says, let me see what you did with, with what I gave you to steward. And he says, look, you gave me five, and here's five more. Now you have ten. Like, well done, good and faithful servant. And he goes down the line, and then he gets to the one who buried it, and he's like, Well, I buried it. Here's your one bag back. And the master's pretty upset. And here is the thing that most people don't realize about this story. If you were a smart, financially conservative person in the ancient Near East, you would have said the smart thing was to bury your money. I know that may not seem like it right now in 2023 but what i would tell you is every single person listening to that story would have heard that five talent person and it would have sounded like they invested all of it in bitcoin to you every single person listening to that story would have been like that terrible crazy person and every person that heard the one talent person buried in the ground would be like listen now that is a smart responsible person we need to hire that person that person's doing it right because back then Bank all that bank stuff was very crooked, very questionable, and to dig it in the ground was the safest thing possible. It was the most smart investment. You know, I don't know what that would be for people today, but maybe you know, it's a good C D that has a return rate that's about the same as inflation. I don't know, I'm not all that into that stuff, but you get what I'm saying. It's very smart. And one of the points of the story is this that there are there are things in this world that I believe God Appreciates when we do the wise, smart, common sense thing with our f- funds, not the risky, crazy things with our funds. However, there are times where what the smart, wise thing with our money looks like and what the kingdom thing looks like are going to conflict with each other. And the question is, Is are you going to be the type of person that shows that Christ is the Lord of your money because you were willing to let go of what the common sense thing with your money is for the sake of the kingdom investment thing with your money is. I hope that makes sense. I want you to imagine an illustration. Let's say, this is me just kind of trying to come up with a basic model of this. Let's say there's a family that has three vehicles and one of those vehicles just sits 95 percent of the time. And you hear that there's a woman in your community, a single mother with three kids, whose car has just broken down and she cannot afford to fix it. The world common sense thing to do would probably look like a bunch of different things. This is the common sense responsible thing. It would be to hold on to that car because if you let her use the car, she might break it, she might mess it up, might trash it, and then you won't have your extra car. Or it would be to go on kellybluebook.com. They're not promoting this sermon, pre-paid promotion for Kelly Blue Book. Go on Kelly Blue Book, get the estimate, go to the lady and say, hey, this is a good, this is a fair trade value for my car. I will sell you this car for this much. Or... There is the Christ is my Lord version of this, the kingdom investment that just says, here's my car, we don't use it, I hope it's a blessing to you. If any of you feel anxious with that, that might be an example of something where maybe money or possessions is a stronger Lord in your life than the kingdom investment side of things. In 1 Timothy six seventeen through 19 it says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. Don't find your trust and security in that, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to make a kingdom investment for good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation, not a questionable, not an uncertain foundation, a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That's good, if you want to bookmark that passage. Randy Alcorn, in his book, uh, he says, When I save, I lay aside something for future need. If I sense God's leading, I will give it away to meet greater needs. When I hoard, notice the different word, when I hoard, I am unwilling to part with what I've saved to meet others' needs because my possible future needs outweigh their actual present needs. I fail to love my neighbor as myself. Another good quote. I think you could argue, I'm trying to make this argument, I think you could make the argument that we often take the word generosity and stewardship and make them two different words. Are you generous with your money or are you a good steward with your money or both? And I would tell you that from my studying and this term, this idea of kingdom investment, this idea of using it aggressively, risk for God's kingdom, I almost don't think those words are any different. To say I am good at stewarding my money is to say that you are generous with your money to those with needs. To say I'm generous with those with needs is for Jesus to be a good steward of what he has given you. Uh, I just. I want, to, I want to find some word we can come up with that is like stewardship and generosity is all included in that idea. Because I think we shouldn't be, well, I'm not all that good at being generous, but I am a good steward of my money. I'm really generous, but I don't steward my money well. Eh, they're the same. They're one and the same. Alright, here is my last move. My last thing I want us to talk about. One of the cool things in studying for this sermon is this very interesting question. Why doesn't Jesus or Paul or any of the New Testament writers ever talk about tithing? Have any of you noticed that in the Old Testament, there is a lot of language about what it means to tithe? And if you aren't familiar with that term, it it comes from this idea that when you get the first fruits of God's blessing your crops, your livestock, your possessions, you give a tenth of that to God, okay? And yet, there is almost no language of that in Jesus. No, Jesus doesn't talk about this at all. Why doesn't he use this? Why doesn't Paul, when he's trying to raise funds for the Jerusalem church, why doesn't he say to everybody that he's raising funds from in Rome and different places, like, hey, listen, remember, we tithe, we're supposed to tithe, you should tithe a tenth of your stuff for this church in Jerusalem that needs help. And here is uh, here is a great quote from Richard Foster to answer that very question. I'm going to read it slow and then I might read it again. The tithe simply is not a sufficiently radical concept to embody the carefree unconcern, the indifference, for possessions that marks the life in the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ is Lord of all our goods, not just 10%. It is quite possible to obey the law of the tithes Without ever dealing with our mammon lust is the word he uses. But I switch that out because that's, uh, when Jesus uses the word in Greek, mammon, it kind of just means wealth or desire to accumulate riches. We can; f- uh, It is quite possible to obey the law of the tithes without ever dealing with our wealth lust. We can feel that our monthly check to our church meets the new law of Jesus and never once root out reigning covet- covetousness. Covetousness and greed. That's a really good quote, y'all. This is saying that there are a lot of ways where you can go. Wait, what's what do I need to do? Oh, I need to just give a small ten percent of my money. Good. I then he's the Lord of my money. Listen, I tithe, and he's saying, you know, you can do that and really still be a very greedy, covetous person who still has that reigning over your heart. When really, for Jesus. That concept is completely foreign because he says, if you've come to know me, then that's just completely out of there. Your trust in that is gone, and your indifference for or the care that you have for that should no longer be there. It's a I love this line where he says it is not a radically, a sufficiently radical concept to to embody the carefree, unconcerned for possessions that marks the life in the kingdom of God, or what I might say, marks the life of someone where Christ is their Lord. Mark 12, we get this great story from Jesus where he says, where it says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, he's like, come here guys, let me talk to you about something. Truly I tell you, This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Her giving had a reckless abandon to it. She demonstrated an undivided devotion that fulfilled the command to love God with all her heart, soul, mind, and strength. Here in this story is a person who did not have the idol of accumulating more, no greed within her, Here is a person whose giving exceeded her holding on. Her identity, security, status, trust were in a different place. Here was a widow, helpless and defenseless, who had learned to trust the Father for her needs day by day. One who sought first the kingdom and God's righteousness. And do you know what? She was the only person in the story who was truly free. Because many times... Not always. Many times, for those other people in the story, the thing that they think I'm free because I have all this wealth really are the people that are enslaved and trapped by a Lord. And the person who says, everyone would say, oh man, that person has got to be just stuck. I don't know how they could possibly feel any sort of security because they don't have all of this that brings you status, security, comfort, trust. That person was actually free because they had made God... Lord, the one that set them free, the one that they put their trust in. In this life, the question we have to ask ourselves is, do you want to be free to steward and be generous with your money or do you want your money to own you and decide what you do with your life? Only being a servant with Christ as our Lord will bring us that freedom, that assurance, that peace, nothing else. Because as the great philosopher Notorious B.I.G. one time said, more money, more problems. So anyway, one of the things that I want you to hear from me today is this. I hope you didn't hear a sermon where you thought, man, that preacher sure wants me to just take all my money, give it all to the church, donate all of it, get rid of it, because I'm some bad person, because I have money in my debit account. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is is that whether you realize it or not, Jesus is trying to offer us true life and freedom and the good news and the gospel that comes from a life with him. And there are other things in this world that are trying to offer you the exact same thing and say, if you make me your Lord, you will have that. And one of the top competitors for your heart, according to Jesus, is money and your possessions. And if you think, I really don't want anything else to control me, I just want Jesus to be my Lord, the first place to start to root things out in your life is probably your bank account. If any of you would like to know more about what it means to trust in Jesus as your Lord, we're going to have elders standing at the doors. If any of you have any prayer requests, I'd encourage you to come while we stand and sing.